song. Well, I meant during the song you're supposed to be clapping, not like after the song. Oh my. You know, in Acts chapter 2, when God sent the Spirit, the people that were around were wondering what this thing was, what was going on. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon. And he said, I want you to know today that this is in fulfillment of God's scripture in the Old Testament and that he sent Jesus and he was attested by God by the miracles he performed but your leaders opposed him and they plotted against him and they put him to death but he said I want you to know that this Jesus God raised from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father and the Father has given him of the Spirit of which he has poured out on us today this is what you see and hear the resurrected life of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside the church. That was just kind of a sermon that was welling up in me this morning. I'm not going to preach this morning, but I just wanted you to hear that this morning. Amen? Amen. And that's what it ought to be. It ought to be the resurrected life of, the G- of Jesus that he pours out on us. So we are glad you're here this morning. And I, I do really want to make the point that next time we sing, I'll fly away... We're going to clap. And if you can't clap on the beat, just do the best you can. But clap, all right? All right. Why don't you shake a few hands, hug a few necks. Thank you for being here this morning.
highest of heights to the depths of the sea. The creation revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring. Every creature in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name, you are amazing God, all powerful, untamable, all struck with to our knees as we humbly proclaim you are amazing God who stored every lightning bolt where it should go or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow in the sun and gives source to its light, yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night. None can fathom, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing. We fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim You are amazing God Indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God Awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim You are amazing God If you'd join me this morning for prayer uh, Father, we thank you uh, that you are our awesome God And Father, we thank you for your Son uh, that loved us enough to die for us. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us as your children. And uh, Father, we pray that we would uh, experience that life. And Father, I pray in these days that you would pour out your Spirit uh, in our midst and would be at work. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be sensitive, uh, Father, to uh, hear the voice of your Spirit and to respond in obedience and Father, I pray as we do that, that, uh, Father, you would just continue to pour your life into us. Uh, we pray that it would spread. And so, Father, we pray for you to ignite a fire in our hearts in these days. And uh, that, Father, it would be a flame that would spread, be contagious to those around us. And uh, so, Father, we just uh, ask that you would meet in a special way. 
uh, with us today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh 
Resurrecting me by your spirit, I will rise 
Last Sunday, we began to look at the verse of Scripture, Hebrews 12, 29, that says, For our God is a consuming fire. And we looked at the concept last week that we saw throughout, or we see throughout the Scripture, that God is like a fire. And His desire is that His fire would come into our hearts and would light a fire, would light a light, that we would experience life through His presence. And so I want to look again this morning at Hebrews 12, 29, a very simple verse of Scripture, and I want to look at one of the other words, 
And Hebrews 12, 29, it says, For our God is a consuming fire. I want to look this morning and focus our attention on the word consuming. I want to talk about consuming. It's not simply that just God is a fire. It says that God is a consuming fire. When Christ's presence comes, it will have one of two effects. In fact, we see this through the Scripture. Uh, and I trace this through the Scripture as it talks about fire throughout the Bible and the presence of God being like a fire. That fire comes for one of two purposes. It will either come for judgment and there, there are a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Or it will come for purification. The fire will either come to judge or the fire will come to purify. In fact, I want you to set those two things in your mind and we're going to, at the end of the sermon, we're going to come back to that. When the presence of God comes like a fire, it will either be a fire of judgment or it will be a fire of purification. We see bo both of those concepts throughout the Scripture. But this morning I want us to focus on the word consuming, that our God is a consuming fire. Uh, that word for consuming, and I spent a little bit of time this week studying on what that word means because actually we see it throughout the scripture and we're going to come to some of those here in just a minute that word consuming uh, when it doesn't refer to fire in the scripture speaks about that which is lavishly spent um, it's almost the sense of something being over the top uh, but it has the concept of being used up almost extravagantly. It is uh, a word that has in its sense something that is used up. It's like over the top, or if it relates to money or something or some commodity, that which is, it is lavishly spent, used up. When it refers to fire in the Scripture, it speaks of that fire. It's a qualifying word for that fire to speak of it being, uh, the sense would be it is raging uh, intensely. So this morning we could have a little votive candle on uh, the altar. And it would be a flame that is burning and would extend a certain amount of light maybe even a certain amount of warmth if you put your hand over it and has a certain ambiance to it, uh, that would not be a consuming fire. <laughs> there would be a different word for that. This is a word that says, yes, that, that is fire, but it is not a consuming fire. When the Scripture talks about a consuming fire, it talks about something that is raging intensely. It is something, it, this word qualifies it in the sense that it speaks of the size of the fire and the extent 
the effect of that fire. It's a huge fire, and it burns up everything in its presence. That's what this word denotes. It is a consuming fire. We saw this last week in some scriptures. And in fact, Hebrews 12, 29, I believe is a quote from an earlier scripture from Moses. I read this last week, but you can write this down in your notes. In Deuteronomy 4, 24, Moses says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And so the same word is used to qualify that. When Moses spoke of it, it's no, it's not just that God is a fire. He is a consuming fire. We saw this same sense earlier in Moses' life. Deuteronomy is written at the end of his life. But when he's bringing the children of Israel out of the promised land and they come to Mount Sinai and God appears on the mountain. Remember this? In Exodus 24, 17, it says, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So when they looked up on the mountain, it was not that they saw a glow. No, they saw a fire that was burning, uh, raging in intensity. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the picture that the Scripture is making here is that our God is not just a fire. He is a consuming fire. This was how, uh, from the last two scriptures, we understand that Moses experienced God. And if we just stayed with kind of the time period and the scriptures that relate to Moses, as I've been doing my reading the Bible through this year, we've we've been going through, obviously we started in Genesis in the Old Testament and You had Exodus, the story of their deliverance, and then we're in Leviticus right now. Let me just say, if you're with me and you're reading your Bible through, we have lost many brethren and sistren in their read the Bible through in the book of Leviticus. I want you to persevere. Just keep reading. You're going to make it. Many lost souls have been left in the book of Leviticus trying to read their Bible through, and they just just didn't make it, Brother Darrell. I died right there in chapter 17. Just said, I'm done. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. But it's in there. Just persevere. You'll get to the book of Numbers. And then it'll go from, hopefully, you'll get to the book of Numbers. And maybe it'll get a little bit better for you. For sure, Deuteronomy will help you. And we'll go on from there. But the interesting thing is when I begin to plan and study for our emphasis this year on spiritual renewal in Ignite 2018, I came across this concept from the Old Testament from the sacrificial system. If you've been reading your Bible through, we've, we've built the tabernacle and God has all these specific instructions. And in the midst of the tabernacle, there is an altar and, and if you've been reading, you realize that there was a, what is called a burnt offering that was placed 
on the altar. So there were sacrifices of animals and actually other things that were brought to God and in the tabernacle. And they are called burnt offerings. They were placed on the altar. There was a fire, probably a pretty intense fire, on the altar there. And they would bring their sacrifices, and they were called burnt offerings because they would be burned. That's what you did with the sacrifice that was brought to God. You put it on the altar. Now, there's all kinds of instructions, and actually some of the meat is given to the priest. But what, as far as I can tell, there's only two. Well, there's maybe three outcomes from that sacrifice that comes. That it is completely burned. It is eaten by the priest. And the ashes are then carried out from the tabernacle out to someplace else. And the point being is the sacrifice is to be completely consumed our word for the day in fact you see that that when the sacrifice is brought to God it is to be completely consumed there is to be nothing left I understand the ashes are left but even they are to be carried out Um, that is what the priest in Leviticus, and I just I wrote down in my notes Leviticus 6, if you want to just look it up. The sacrifices are to be completely consumed. There is to be nothing left. I realized that this is exactly what God said from the Passover. And in Exodus 12, um, God gave them instructions through Moses to take a lamb... And to roast that lamb with fire. Don't boil it. Don't cook it any other way. No, it is to be roasted over a fire. And in Exodus 12.10, God tells Moses to tell them, You shall let none of it remain until the morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. When you brought Now the sacrifice... Actually, there's probably a fourth component, which was the blood. So they drained the blood from that animal. In the Old Testament and other places, they applied that blood. The horns of the altar, or good grief, sometimes it's the right earlobe of the priest. I don't understand all that. I'm not smart enough. Um, Some of it was sprinkled on things. You remember on the Passover, no, you kill the lamb, you take the blood, And you apply it to the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes, he will see the blood and he will pass over. But the rest of the lamb, roast it. Eat all that you can or want to. But you're not supposed to save it. No. Everything that's left, burn it. It is to be all consumed. It is to be gone. And so I started tracing Through the Bible, this concept of the sacrifice was to be completely consumed. There was to be nothing left. And one of the things I discovered is that those times in the Bible in which God, when the priest didn't set a fire, but God sent fire, it always makes the point 
that it was consumed completely. In fact, just this week in our reading in Leviticus 9, after they have built the tabernacle and they have sanctified the priest and put on all their garments and everything we've gone through, and they made their first, they put their first sacrifice on the altar. It says in Leviticus 9:23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They dedicate the tabernacle and the priest and they set the sacrifice there. And on that occasion, God sends fire. And it's the word. He consumed it all. Same thing happens centuries later when they dedicate a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon builds that. Second uh, Chronicles 7, 1, when Solomon had finished praying the dedication of the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And, of course, we remember we've looked at 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and they made their sacrifice, and then when Elijah makes his sacrifice and the agreement is no fire. Elijah prays. And remember that scripture, uh, 1 Kings 18, 38. When God sent the fire, it said it consumed everything. The sacrifice, the wood, the rocks, the dirt, the water. Maybe something else. I just can't remember what it was. Everything was gone. And as I described in that sermon, the only thing that was left was the glory of God. Hmm. There is something to this concept of the sacrifice being completely consumed. Nothing left except the glory of God. Seems to be only one exception to me, and I'm just being honest with you in my study. Exodus chapter 3. Moses tending his father-in-law's flocks in the wilderness of Midian. Mm. And he sees something, a bush that's burning. Because when God makes himself known throughout the scripture, it seems to be by fire. And the statement is made in Exodus 3, 2. That Moses goes to the bush to see this great sight and a voice comes to him. But the statement is made. There was a fire. Remember what it said? But the bush (laughs) was not consumed. Hmm. Well, it kind of threw a wrench in my whole little sermon thing. If you got the bush that's not consumed, I'm thinking, well, I thought God was a consuming fire. But then it occurred to me, the point of God's appearance in Exodus 3 was not to consume a bush, 
It was to consume a person, Moses. God's not about consuming things with his fire. He's about consuming people. And the bush was not consumed. But I would contend today that God began a process through that encounter with Moses that he began to consume the man who he would need to lead his children out of bondage in Egypt. God came that day not to consume a bush, but to consume a man, Moses. God is in the business of consuming people for his glory. You kind of see it in actually those couple chapters after the burning bush. Uh, you know, it'd really be a nice little Bible story if God spoke to Moses from the bush and said, I'm sending you back. I'm going to deliver them out of bondage and we're going to the promised land. And Moses had been a great man of faith in that moment and said, man, I'm your man. I know you can do it, God. But I don't know if Moses stuttered before that day, but he started stuttering. But, but, I, but, I, but, but you know, we'd all like to think, well, if God appeared to me in a burning bush, oh, I'd be ready to storm the gates of hell. God, whatever you got, bring it on. You and me against anything is a majority. We're on. Now, Moses began, but, but I understand what you're saying, but, but God, and so you see in these next two chapters these, these questions. In my Bible, it, I just have some little headings, and the first thing that Moses says, but who am I that you're going to send me? That's his first excuse. His second excuse when God answers that is, but what is your name? When they ask me your name, what am I supposed to say? I don't even have a good answer for their first question they're going to ask me. This isn't going to work, God. His third excuse or question was, but what if they don't believe me? What am I going to do? God has answers for all those things. And then finally, but, 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 but God, I'm really just not particularly a good speaker. I don't know if God throws up his hands, but I always envisioned in heaven, it's like, God, oh, good, goobly goop. <laughs> to use a Hebrew phrase, I don't know what God was, he didn't, I know, that's not it. That's what Daryl Smith would have said, boy, good grief. All right, then your brother Aaron's coming out here and he'll be your spokesman. You tell him what to say in Aaron, he'll speak to Pharaoh and the people for you. And you know what I get is that God dealt with each one of those excuses. God could have said, well, you know what, I'm just going to choose somebody else. That, if that's the way you're going to be. But the point is God is not in the business of consuming bushes. He's in the business of consuming people. And the process of purification and change in Moses' life started that day in that encounter God knew he had to do a work in Moses first before God could do a work through Moses. It is the process 
of growth and purification, whatever you, sanctification, whatever you want to call it, that God needs in our lives for us to come to the point to say, God, I may not be much, but all that I am I give to you for you to use any way you want. God, I offer myself. And you do whatever you want to do. And God consumes me. You realize that process. You know what that process is all about? Is me getting rid of me and where that void is, filling it with him. Paul would say it's going to take you a lifetime. (laughs) I'm not saying today's not important. But it's going to. We're not really going to be like him until we see him as he is. I think that's in. First John, maybe chapter 3. It is a process of change in our life, of me being emptied of me, and where that void is being filled with him. God is in the business of consuming people. And when there's nothing left, people will discover the glory of God. The more that is emptied of me (laughs) and more filled with him, the more of what is left is the glory of God. I want us to understand one other thing from the story of Moses. When Moses came to the burning bush, you remember what the voice said to him? Oh, I'm so glad you came today. I've got a really big job for you to do. No, the voice said, hold up. That's the Hebrew there. Back, back. Uh, Take off your shoes because this is holy ground. And what God was communicating to him and to us is we don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And God is really not in the business of coming to bless us and our plans and what we want to do with our life. And many times that's our approach to God. God's not about that. God's not here to bless my life. God is here to consume my life. And when we come to God, we don't come on our terms. We come on God's terms. And Moses discovered that from the get-go. This is holy ground. Boy, you need to take off your shoes and show some respect because you're in the presence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, I think it's within the spirit of what I'm talking about this morning that God is a consuming fire. He rages in intensity and his desire is to consume everything that is not of him. Mm. God, my point being is God does not come to give us a little fire, a little flame that warms us and gives us a little bit of light. No, God's not a little flame that comes to warm us 
God is a consuming fire that comes to take over everything in his presence. I told the story last Sunday of um, uh, John Wesley's conversion and how he described that conversion experience as his heart was strangely warmed. Uh, I'll pick, I'll pick at John Wesley and say, God really came to do more than warm our hearts. Many times we come to God and we just want him to warm our hearts a little bit. But in John Wesley's defense, even though that was his initial encounter with God, that his heart was strangely warmed, what we discover in the life of John Wesley as the founder of Methodism is that his heart raged with God. God radically changed his life. John Wesley did more for a hundred years in church life around the world than any other person. The Methodists, as I described last week, were the most on-fire, passionate, evangelistic group of believers in the world for 100, 150 years. It is quoted of John Wesley, and actually when I Googled it this week, they, there was dispute, John Wesley never said that. I'm going to quote it anyhow because I think it's a good quote. Just know he probably never said it. It was reported, and I think it, it portrays the spirit of John Wesley. John Wesley said, set your life on fire, and people will come to watch you burn. He was talking about being a preacher. Set your life on fire, and people will come to watch your life burn. So God really lit John Wesley's life up. And used him in an incredible way. God's presence comes to our lives to purify us like a refiner's fire. Just a few more moments. Uh, two other scriptures. So when the presence of Christ comes into our lives... He comes to consume us, to refine us like a refiner's fire, to purify us. Paul kind of speaks to this imagery, and actually, if you want to write in your notes, 1 Peter 1.7, 1, uh, 1 Peter 1.7, Peter talks about uh, the testing of our faith through fire and how it's purified, almost like a goldsmith or a metalsmith's crucible but in in first corinthians 3 11 first corinthians 3 11 paul says for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is christ jesus i'm sorry which is jesus christ now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each man's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." This is what I was talking about at the start of my sermon. God's fire will come 
and it will either bring judgment or it will bring purification. And Paul describes that of the things, the foundation is, is our confession of faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then we build on it. Some of what we put on it may be gold that will withstand a fire and silver and maybe precious stones. But then some of it's wood, hay, and straw that actually when the fire comes and the judgment of God comes, it'll be burned up. We'll suffer loss. But that which is, can withstand the fire will be purified through that process. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the words of Jesus when he when he said, whoever would seek to gain their life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will gain it. If we, if we do our own thing, we will suffer loss. But if we will choose to lose our life, then it will be great gain. All right, we're about 30 minutes in, and this is what I came to say. That was all just preface. This is the point, and won't take me long to make. Whether the fire of God comes for judgment or purification depends upon whether we have offered it as a sacrifice to God. Whether the fire comes for judgment or for purification depends upon whether we have offered our life as a sacrifice to God. If it is a sacrifice given to God, God will purify it. If it is not offered as a sacrifice to God, something we keep for ourselves or choose to go our own way, the fire will come as judgment and we will suffer loss. It's all about whether we offer it as a sacrifice to God. Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. And I'm like quoting from old King James or something. Let me get it straight here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart for God, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If we will offer our lives as a sacrifice, God will consume it, and all that will be left will be his glory. If we choose to keep our own lives God's fire will also come, but we will lose it because we kept it for our own. And the fire of God will come as judgment. The picture for me 
is back on Mount Carmel. Two altars, two sacrifices. The prophets of Baal went first. They would have killed a bull and set that bull on wood on an altar that day. And remember, they, they cry out to Baal to come and send fire. I don't mean to be super graphic this morning. What was happening to that sacrifice on the altar? Well, there were flies and junk. It was getting gross. I mean, it's good meat on the barbecue grill that's being wasted. <laughs> Somebody crank up the fire and grill that thing. <laughs> the meat is spoiling. It's going bad. No, but think, I know that's maybe goofy, but I'm, I'm goofy. This is the way I see it. Amen. Thank you, George. That's fine. And so why do we connect so much? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back at you. Uh, no, that meat, once that bull was killed and the blood was drained, that meat on that bull began to rot and decay. I kind of wonder what happened to it. What happened to it afterwards? It's like, because you know what happened when fire came and consumed the other altar, the other sacrifice that was offered to God, they killed the prophets of Baal. This is the picture I get. They offered their sacrifice to something other than God, and it rotted and decayed and it wasted and it ended up in destruction, and they died. But Elijah off, builds an altar in the name of the Lord, it says. And he prays and God sends fire and consumes it all. And he lives. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. All that was left was the glory of God. Whether it is destruction or purification depends upon whether we offer it to God. And when we offer it to God, all that I see through the Scripture, what God wants to do, He wants to completely consume it. Because only when He completely consumes it is it gone and the only thing that is left is the glory of God. Mm. That's, from one ver that's from one word in the scripture. For our God is a consuming fire. And my heart as your pastor is, that's what I want God to do in my life. Continue to do till the very end and that's what God I want God to do in your life is to completely consume you so that all that is left is the glory of God we have a choice whether we will choose to gain our life for ourselves or we will choose to lose our lives and really there's only life when we give up our lives for his sake, we offer our lives 
as a sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy and acceptable sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only right, considering what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Brother Shane's going to come and lead us. Uh, this morning the altar is open. Um, I pray that God would draw our hearts to him in these days. And So if you want to come to the altar. Um, wow, I think <laughs> the simple prayer is God light a fire in my life. God, let me just lay it all out. And Father, you just consume it for your glory. And so this morning the altar is open as we sing.